Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today. If you're not ready to give up the next 10 years of your life to potentially be successful in the idea that you have now, then it's not really worth giving it a go. Because the best case scenario is that works out. Worst case, it could be 15, 20 years. Worst, worst case is it fails after two, three. You're listening to Conversations with Lulu. I'm Lulu Khazan an entrepreneur living in Dubai, an investor, a mother, and your host. Even before starting my entrepreneurial journey in 2011 with Nabbish.com, I've had my fair share of transformations and have had the opportunity to build a great and diverse network of amazing people along the way. This podcast is an extension of my learning journey and a way for me to share some insights. I'm joined today by Philip Bahoshi, founder and CEO of Magnet, the largest investment data and trends platform for the MENA startup ecosystem. I've been following his work since 2016 and really admire the hustle and dedication with which he's built Magnet literally from the ground up. Today, Magnet is one of the most quoted sources for MENA startup investment data regionally and often globally. I sat down with Philip, uh, this was quite a few weeks ago before the coronavirus restrictions. Um, so I sat down with him to get a sense of the startup scene in MENA from key players and opportunities and exits. Philip is uh, an interesting character. He's British with Iraqi origins. Uh, he studied economics at the London School of Economics in the UK and uh, started his career in financial services then he moved to Dubai as part of his work with uh, Oliver Wyman and then uh, Barclays back in 2010. And within a few years, uh, when he was 27, Philip was itching to get away from the corporate world and even the Middle East. So he went to INSEAD for his MBA. I was enamored by the idea of entrepreneurship and did all of their modules. It wasn't a core requirement of the university, but you were able to do all of the electives. And really what sparked my interest was that one particular weekend, like they do here, the startup bootcamp weekend, they had four students. And in that two-day process, you went from idea origination, you talked about board structures, you talked about cap tables, you talked about market size, and, and each thing was 30 minutes and you had to like literally do them Bite by bite size by, and so I had an idea about a wine app that basically is similar to Vivino. One of the things they wanted you to do was to reach out to the alumni to get feedback on your product. And I went on what was the internal platform and emailed about 20 people, and only one person replied. And I just thought it was ridiculous that you're emailing random people you've never spoken to, asking them for feedback when they may have absolutely no interest in what it was that you were doing. 
And one of the things that really hit me was that we did this class. I've said this a few times. We studied at the time blue ocean strategy being out of the box thinking. What is it that is revolutionary? One of the modules was Match.com. And Match.com at the time was the premier, still considered to many, dating site. And what they had done was do a psychometric 15, 20 page analysis test to understand everything about you, to guarantee you your perfect match and charged in the region of one to $2,000 wow. to do that, right? Okay, wow. And so we're sitting there in the room with like 100 students and they're going on about how, oh, the psychometric text testing, perfect match, introduction, um, you have to do due diligence, and literally, whoever was single in the room, Tinder had just been released, was sitting there swiping left, swiping right. Okay. Absolutely no testing, no guarantee, no monetization, just providing a channel for two people to meet. And then whatever the success was afterwards was reliant on what you do off the platform. By 2014, he'd identified a key market gap. Uh, entrepreneurs with ideas needed an easy way to connect with investors. And that led him to launch Magnet. You had all of these websites, whether it be AngelList, whether it be um, at, the, at the time Deal Room or there was Gust, all requiring pitch decks, financials, information, data, um, potential of like investing with a percentage stake, etc. And yet all you really wanted to do was try and find an audience that was trying to be interested in what you do and connect them. And that was the original spark to Magnet was... Or how do you tinderize or simplify the process of connecting two people that may be interested in a concept and getting them to potentially lead to success or failure, but making that connection happen? Again, people say at the time was like, find something that's personal to you. So I go back to the problem. I was trying to connect to these people mm -hmm. to give me help and I couldn't. And then I was wondering, well, there's, and not only that, as MBAs, there's a massive stigma towards MBA entrepreneurs because they believe, oh, MBAs don't make good entrepreneurs. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't believe an entrepreneur is good or bad and, and whether you do an MBA, it just helps you. Um, but the alumni network of any MBA has a very strong affection to supporting their alumni community. And therefore, for me, it was instead of us reaching out to 20 people, why don't those interested in the venture space who are interested in entrepreneurship connect with the entrepreneurs from their uni or across unis that were looking to match with them to help them grow their ventures? So it almost came from a passion of mine and a pain point of mine that I believed as well, trying to take the theory that don't go and create a mass market product, find a niche that you get a small number. I always repeat Sam Altman's statement that like you should have a product that a small number of people love that you can then expand rather than just a lot of people like but not use. And so that was kind of the logic at the time. And you decided that it was time to do that in the Middle East? And I mean, when? How, no, I when mean, I pivoted, right? So at the beginning, it, it, it took a long time to get traction. I, I, I've done so many mistakes at the beginning, whereby an outsourced development team, I did it on my own. I didn't have a co-founder. Um, I tried to get like traction. The truth was with the MBAs, each university loved the idea, but none of them wanted to have a single platform that crossed MBAs. They wanted a product for their MBAs, almost a idea testing platform, not a 
angel list type yeah. platform. The second learning was that how was I meant to build a really strong business from Dubai when INSEAD is in Singapore? I spoke to the dean of Harvard's entrepreneurship in 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 the US, uh, NYU. Um, you got a Stanford. I spoke to all of them. Like it wasn't without trying. I spoke to every top tier Ivy League and university from uh, Europe uh, in the MBA space, and and all of them had great feedback. But you could just get fifteen to thirty minutes on a Skype call with them. Probably nine to twelve months in, I just decided, well, this isn't quite working with the MBA thing. But like, I built the platform, the MVP's there. Why don't I get rid of MBAs and focus on the Middle East? And that would have been probably early two thousand sixteen. Um, and so I remained on this kind of connectivity platform for the Middle East. And what people liked the idea, and it was kind of cute at the time. And again, I could show you the numbers from Magnet, but at the time there wasn't a huge amount of investment, and there wasn't a huge amount of activity. I still remember kind of pitching at the Step Conference at the time, um, which was down by Dubai Marina, and people were like, "Yeah, it's nice," and etc. And so it was the second time it was like really struggling. So we started adding these features and directories. It's nice as in like they they weren't they weren't. It was a nice to have. Convinced that there's a need. There's a need for a matching platform. Everyone would be like, "Well, how many entrepreneurs are there? How many investors are there? How big is the market? How are you going to scale? How are you monetizing?" I hadn't thought of the monetization at the time. Um, I still believe that it was growing, and. What we started to do was build the directory. So we moved away from the matching towards the directory. We started incorporating some elements of the news. We started incorporating bits of different elements. And I always remember and thank Mai from um, Aventus. Uh, I used to work out of a co-working space here. And um, she sat next to me one day. I could see her. I was really frustrated. And she goes, what's wrong? And I was like, well, I, I just people aren't getting what we do. And... Uh, And she said, "Well, you know, you have two thousand startups at the time, and that would have been end of two thousand fifteen, beginning two thousand sixteen. She got you two thousand startups on your platform. Nobody has that data, and I cross-checked that international platforms didn't have that data. And so she said, 'Why don't you just put a graphic out there, put put something visual?'" And I was like, well, what? It's me. How do I do it? What? She said, I don't know. Just, just find something that can represent the data on the platform. So I went on Canva and we brought out what was off the back of the Payfort uh, State of Mina payments. We created the State of Mina startups, which was a two-page infographic. Okay. How many startups? Where were they located? How many of? And we asked these questions: How many were fundraising? What stages they were at? We had all of this as part of the platform. And so we put this graphic out, and then all of a sudden, people were going, "Oh, that was really nice. That was really informative." And then at the end of the year, I said, "Well, if that worked, let's do funding." Because I was looking at what other people in the space were doing here, and I didn't believe the numbers that were being bounced around. And we had all of the data because we'd been collecting it. So at the end of the year, we created what was the first Mina Venture Investment Report for the region, and that's when everybody started going, "Ah." You're not just this matching platform. You're actually a data platform, and that's where Magnet became what it was now. Because we doubled down on the research, we doubled down on the data, we doubled down on kind of sharing that research and, and that visibility. And then we realized that the monetization was in the data, the subscription of the data, and also the eyeballs that was coming for what is a niche product, but one that is on the top of the minds of every government corporate. Across the whole of the region, and I believe across like the world, but emerging markets.
So which brings me to a question. I mean, I've always, when I look at uh, or when I read what's happening in the region, there's, I think, an incubator or an accelerator launching every every month, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I don't have the data, but I'm... I'm we I'm have the data. How, how many? How I don't many? have the number, but yeah, I, we I mean, have the data. It must be like around 100, maybe, in the region, probably. Like If, if you consider the MENA region, the 18 countries, I wouldn't be surprised if you included co-working spaces, incubators, accelerators. That's yeah. probably over 100. So do you see do you see value in that? I mean... Look, I mean, it, it depends how you look at it. Um, we we want to bring out a report just on the success rate of um, accelerator programs because I think that there are different type of accelerator programs. There, are, Well, number one, let's start with, I believe that there isn't a very clear definition here in the region of what an actual accelerator is, what an actual incubator should be. So basically, when there is an exchange of cash, and I'm being crude, we need the exact definitions, but when there is an exchange of cash, in uh, in exchange for a program that is done through an accelerator program. So an incubator is effectively a co-working hub, but becomes more of a house. It's like a frat place or an environment where they'll bring some mentors in, but they don't give you cash. It's the housing in lieu of the cash, but they usually tend to take uh, a percentage for that. But to your question, are they successful? Let, let's see, when they originated, they served a purpose. Early stage investment in the region lacks an angel community because effectively um, it's still a new asset class. And so who is funding at the early stage? Yes, seven, eight years ago, there were a couple of VCs that started emerging that were having to play in the early stage. So these accelerator programs also kind of helped fund, as they still do today, the origination of early stage ideas. But not only did they give you cash, they kind of gave you some tools and teaching. But the terms that they provided were extremely punitive. But at the time, they were the first movers and they were able to do that because entrepreneurs were desperate for cash. As you've seen more accelerator programs and as you've seen founders wise up, use the internet, educate themselves of what the terms should be, as lawyers have become more vocal on what the terms should be, terms have become more favorable while still somewhat punitive, more favorable for startup founders to go to these programs. And no doubt the success rate will come in the future as those companies kind of um, graduate. What's the, uh, the, I mean, would you say like the average equity you have to give out in an in a incubator or accelerator? Is it around 5, 5, 5 to 10%? I mean, it should be around 5%, like no more than maximum 10%, but there were stories of 20, 30%. For, so we'll, for, we'll look forward for that report then. Yeah, to, well, to, 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 to get the average benchmarks. Yeah, I mean, we want to bring out the average benchmarks. I think it'll be interesting to it, know, you know, because if you if you are thinking about joining one, you would, you'd want to know, are you getting a good deal or, or yeah. not really? I mean, you're doing it in exchange for a whole program. And again, so you need to look at, is it a good program? Is it a good uh, venture capital? Are they likely to bring in follow-on investors? If you knowing what you know today, what, do you, what would you say like the most important, let's say, uh, output that uh, an incubator or an accelerator can provide you? I think it's really like challenging what it is that you're doing. So ultimately... That's what the startup bootcamp was. That was not an accelerator. It was a two-day program that literally just said, well, have you thought of this? How are you going to monetize? Who's it going to grow? How big is your market share? I think sometimes people become very obsessed with their ideas, that they they get blinded by some simple questions. And you again, get emotional I, as well. You get very emotional. And attached and, yeah. But it's not just that. Like now 
I know what investors ask for. So if I was to do it all over again, would I have chosen a niche product without monetization, without a co-founder in a small market? Like probably not, right? You, you No, definitely not. I, I know you need to think of a very different kind of idea. And by the way, let me be clear to anyone listening, I did a whole MBA for all of the electives that told me all of this. But ultimately, until I did it myself and, and realized it through pain, it's a lot harder than when you just have an idea and you think it's going to become the next best thing. So another piece of advice, if you have an idea, share it because uh, absolutely. you that's, learn uh, more that's from doing uh, that. hindsight, by the way. As, lo- as long as you're malleable to change, like as long as you're, you can pivot. I mean, if you're stubborn to any idea, yeah. then then that's where, it, like, if, it's good to have passion. I remember, again, I was with Maya on a... On a on a panel and she says what's the most important the the interviewer asked what's the most important characteristic uh, and people said passion they said determination and i kind of said hustle which i know that i believe that there's passion but you need to be able to maneuver and change and not be driven passion can be almost blinding if you don't choose to change that passion whereas hustle means that you can kind of maneuver and navigate as you go along yeah i would say i think i'm 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 like you i I wouldn't say passion i would say discipline because you know it like like anything in life you know let's say if you want to lose weight you have to go to the gym every day and train every day and watch what you eat and everything and i think it's the same thing with a startup i think passion i read it somewhere it's not like an original idea of mine but i can't remember who said it but it you know passion fades uh, at some point and it's that discipline to, right. to to do it again and again and again and again we were once talking you and i and you said that the most that you think that the most self-defeating feature that is quite common in entrepreneurs in this part of the world is defensiveness yes and it's not just this part of the world i think anywhere and it's People could always ask for feedback on their ideas and I'm not an investor, so I tell them I'm the wrong person. But if you're going to somebody to ask them for, for advice or you're asking them for feedback, um, you're basically opening yourself up to getting constructively criticized. Now, if they're telling you, Philip, magnet's too small and, and, and the market's too small and you don't know how to monetize and etc., and you react to every single point, it is very unlikely that they're going to actually be constructive. They'll just be like, this person doesn't want to listen. And you almost want to kind of meander and have a conversation with them. It's like, okay, fine, but like, why? I'd love to hear more. Um, What do you think is an alternative? And it's happened to me so many times. More than anything else is when you are offering advice and that's the reaction, you just close up and stop giving the advice. If the person doesn't want to listen to you, it's not interesting for you. That's not the type of person that you want to support. Do you have um, Do you have mentors? Do you have advisors? I how, did. How important is that? I mean, you know, if you're starting up, or even if you're growing a business, especially sorry, especially that you're you know you don't have co-founders, for example, yeah. and like you're you're on your own. So I had a board of advisors when I started, and they were instrumental. But I was a sole founder and had had a few interns and they acted as a co-founder effectively. In the absence of a co-founder, times are difficult. You need people to lift you up. When times are good, you want to celebrate with them. You need guidance. You need people, ideally, when you're looking for advisors who don't pander you, but also understand the industry. Now, I didn't formalize a new one. I'm sure I will if I close a Series A. Um, But I do have people that I look up to. Um, 
I'm in a very fortunate position where through what I do, I get to speak and meet, whether it's through conferences, events, um, very successful entrepreneurs in the region. And and there's a genuine appreciation between us. Like yourself, I mean, there was a time I came to you and I, I asked for advice and support. When you, when, you, when you can have that conversation with people who've done it, they're very... Um, open to sharing and and i thank people like magnus from uh, kareem has been very helpful in having conversations eli um who you're speaking to and it's very inspiring because when you speak to them number one you realize many of the challenges that you're facing have they've all gone through themselves um they in many cases have done it once twice three times before um but i've also had other mentors that i can speak to who come from industry. I mean, one mentor of mine uh, comes from the industry that we're in and has been extremely influential in supporting me and helping what I do. Um, and he's provided insights from what he's done previously, and that's extremely helpful. So sometimes it's just a good sanity check to tell you that you're going in the right direction. So you see, do you think um, people are more open to sharing and for the sake of you know everyone's learning in this part of the world i think we're still behind in terms of um information sharing why i think it's hereditary to a certain extent it's cultural or, or people don't like sharing information out of shame or stigma um people love sharing success here but failure challenges issues is not something that you're necessarily and I, I, it's not just here. I mean, that's the rest of the world. But when it gets normalized in other parts of the world, people become a lot more open to sharing that. And, 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 and just look at data. I mean, it goes up, it goes down. We've had economic cycles. If you look at the stock market, it goes up. There's been crashes. So there's an acceptance that there is a cyclical nature to it. Venture has only been around 10 years. So people are still... Wanting to see the numbers go up every year, year here, over year, here. here in the world, yeah, yeah here this here. part of the world, and so people don't like the idea that there isn't good news, um, and I think that people need to embrace the idea. I wrote in my report um, that one of the predictions for next year is that people need to embrace the idea of there will be more failure. Also, um, going back to the point on sharing, you know, we only like to share successes. Obviously, when I first started up in 2012, uh, for us, you know, raising money was like a big success or something to share. But again, I don't think it's because we as entrepreneurs thought so, but for some reason it got celebrated uh, by the media. So actually, I don't know who's the culprit here, if it's us or if it's the media that kind of blew things out of proportion. And now... Every time I see an announcement like X raises 10 million, Y raises whatever, and I think I would love to know like what their revenues are, you yeah. know, like are they profitable, are they not profitable? I, would, I mean, I would love to see an announcement one day, hopefully on Magnet, saying, you know, X company has done 100 million. Well, because what are we celebrating? I mean, is it like, so it's, well, is it a stamp that you're successful because you raised 10 million? I mean, look, I get the criticism all the time and I would be wrong to sit here and suggest that we aren't fueling that through Magnet because <laughs> every time we get a major announcement. 
I take but you're it, sharing, I take it. right? You're, so, but we're sharing the data. You're right? not so, writing these reports. You, you're no, sharing. but we'll get the we'll get the press releases and we'll, press we'll, we'll, release. from the startups themselves, and we yeah. share the information around that. So you're the culprit. My, my, well, you can call us a culprit, <laughs> but I look at it from a data perspective. So we don't share any announcement if we don't have the amount. We won't share it oh, if yeah, we don't get also, the stage. Yeah. Um, we in every funding announcement that we'll share, we'll say who the investors are who the founders are, what the industry is, what the stage is at. Um, that's data. So what becomes interesting is that if you start looking at it by stage, if you look back two years ago, an average seed round investment would have been 500. Now you're reaching 1.52 million mega deals of 5 million seed rounds. Right, well, that's transparency of data. That's great, by the way. Yeah, so that's transparency that's of data. That's very helpful, but... but the, the second part of what you're saying is, if you st- went back to Magnet four years ago, three years ago, I could tell you stories of VCs not wanting to share investments. Why? Because they didn't want it being out in the public. Like what, who they what, invested in. Who they invested in, and then in how, much, in how much was invested in them. So in case um, it doesn't work out, that means, you know... Like I, we are, I can't so speak on their behalf, I just know that they wouldn't share it. The truth was, once we started publishing these things, then, then people started going, well, but you didn't announce ours. It was like, you didn't give it to us. They're like, oh, but we'll give it to you. It's like, you didn't want to give it to before. Yeah, but now we want to. So my point being, well, you've got to start somewhere. So if all we're doing now is getting the announcements, then we're getting the basic data. Who knows? Maybe we get to a point where people do get comfortable sharing uh, um, their run rates, uh, their revenue rates. I can understand the conflict there because you're really stripping yourself open to people. But you've got to start somewhere to begin to get more levels of data that becomes useful. Ultimately, our goal from the data pillar that I was mentioning is to get more granular data, even if they're proxies or averages or reference points for people because there is a lot more underlying data on Magnet than is publicly available. I was in a 500 startups retreat and it was a panel on VC discussions. And the question from the moderator was, so what's one of your biggest pain points? And one of the, the, the investors said, oh, well, we believe that uh, entrepreneurs in the region have very unrealistic valuations and it's extremely frustrating because they come to us here and then we're always having to kind of tell them here. And then Allah from Jamalon was sitting next to me, who's a rock star, puts his hand up and he goes, but I don't understand. Um, We, as entrepreneurs, believe that you have the wrong valuations because you're too low. And and then what happens is that we end up in this horse haggling and then we go to the middle. And so I, I kind of got up and said, well, don't you believe that part of the issue is that there is a lack of transparency around this? If there was a benchmark to say, on average... The average seed investment is X, series A is Y, Z, etc. And then your discussion becomes justify why you believe you should be higher than the norm or investor why we believe you should be lower than the norm. The conversation becomes somewhat more neutralized and like kind of centered around facts and numbers than just random numbers that don't make sense and hence that's one of the things that we try to push out is to try and put out the averages and and information around this so that people can go ah right well that was the average last year it's lower this year it's higher next year and that's part of what we're trying to solve for
We'll hear more about how Magnet is looking to solve the transparency problem and Philip's learnings from his own entrepreneurship journey right after this break. Support for uh, today's episode comes from our friends at Joy Gifts, uh, the largest gifting marketplace in the Middle East. They're live in seven countries and cover 22 major cities. You can find some yummy brands like Magnolia Bakery, Godiva, Batil and Sugarmoo, as well as flowers and cakes and lots more gifting items. They're perfect for sending someone a Ramadan gift, especially these days as they also offer contactless same-day delivery. Listeners of Conversations with Lulu can get a 15% discount on all items on the site. You just need to use the discount code LULU15, and that's L-O-U-L-O-U-1-5, and go to joygifts.com, or you can download their apps and start gifting today. Welcome back. I'm Lulu Khazan, and you're listening to our episode with Philip Bahoshi, founder and CEO of Magnet. Before the break, Philip spoke about the transparency problem, something he believes can be solved by having more data that would eventually become a reference point to entrepreneurs. Uh, as an entrepreneur and someone who has raised money back in 2012 and 2015, I can assure you that Having a reference on industry trends and averages, as well as understanding the VC landscape, more importantly, who has funds to be deployed and what is their mandate, would have really helped enormously. So I really wish Magnet was as established as it is today uh, back then. We've actually listed in the last report all the new funds that were recently announced. So, I mean, you have funds from the Kuwaiti government, the Central Bank of Egypt, the IFC announced a fund for fintech. Um, there were certain VCs that were created with new uh, funds. So we, we have a rough estimate of funds that have been made publicly available. So Abu Dhabi, $2 billion AED, uh, one billion here, PIF uh, through the new Jeddah Fund, one billion dollars. The challenge becomes what the headline is is not clear how that then gets percolated into actual investments. Yeah, what's what the is time the time frame? Yes. What's the time period? What are they investing in? Are they fund of funds? Are they investing in VCs? Who are the VCs that they're investing in? How what do you is, approach them? Or what are the mandate of them? Is it for their country? It would be wrong to say that the money isn't going to the institutions, but it definitely isn't very transparent how, how is it's it being deployed? deployed. Exactly. Correct. And, 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 what and the how requirements many deals and, and who's getting it. Absolutely. Correct. But I also think that takes time. Like we could name every one of those announcements. We're probably in the last 12, if not 18 months, except for the Alawaha one, which I think is two years ago. That means it takes time for the paperwork, the, the, the organization, the, the bureaucracy of it, the legislation around it. Then the money, then the, the the deal flow, the selection process, the deployment. There's a couple of steps that you need to get to before that actually gets into the bank of an entrepreneur. What do you think about the the culture of uh, co-investing uh, here? And I mean, you, you rarely see, I mean, I don't know if that's changed recently, but I'm talking at the time I was fundraising maybe a few years ago. A lot of it was 
yeah, okay, like we, like nobody leads around. It's like we have to co-invest with someone. Is it, is it a, is it like? I don't think that's changed necessarily too much. I mean, I always, I always say that uh, 500 startups really changed the game whereby they came and did the spray and play model. But again, it comes down, in my opinion, to risk appetite. Um, many of the uh, investors are somewhat risk averse, shall we say, to a certain extent, whereby um, it is a long-term game. Many of them have yet to see the rewards until we've had these massive exits of Souk and Karim. Um, many of them have to be very knowledgeable about the company and therefore it is not about being a charity where they can just invest for the sake of it out of emotion. It needs to be based on due diligence and, and, and analytics. And therefore, getting the comfort that somebody else is investing in the round, while shows that they may didn't, maybe weren't as convinced, because you can speak to any of the investors, they'll say, if we're convinced, we're in. And so it's almost, if they're a little bit on the fence, it gives them the comfort to be able to do that. Again, I go to a conversation that I had in five, and I think it was my first startup meetup um, back in 2005. 14, 15, and there was a gentleman that was extremely angry, um, Saudi gentleman, who was an entrepreneur, and he, he was on stage and he says, Aib, it's haram on the investors for not investing in Middle Eastern startups. All of these VCs and LPs that invest abroad should have shame on them for not investing in the local ecosystem. And I remember a gentleman whose name I won't mention said, I'm sorry, but again, if you have a proven record elsewhere and it is your money to invest, why must you invest in the region if you are looking for a return? If you choose to do it as part of a diversified approach whereby you invest 75% abroad and 25% here and you can see returns in the long run and you believe and have an emotion towards it, then maybe they'll choose to do so. But there's absolutely no requirement to do so based on purely location and geography. But would you say, Philip, that there's no returns because there are no investments to match basically what people are investing? I think that's part of the argument. I mean, you would never as a, as a, I mean, you go to Silicon Valley, you are a global startup from day one. You, you would never meet. No, I think that's a fallacy. No, 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 no. But you never meet a founder, okay, of a, of a Silicon Valley startup that tells you, well, I'm solving for a problem in San Francisco. I think that many of them did. No, I disagree well, they with started you. Off, they started off. Their market, all of them. They started off, but 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 the vision wasn't that. Whereas whereas if you if you talk to entrepreneurs in the Middle East, usually like they're solving for a problem in Egypt or in Dubai or so, like in Mina. Look, I I, I don't agree, and I agree. Like, I, why can't I, we create I, global startups? I think that will come, but for so. To answer your first question, I actually disagree. A lot of people will say, oh, global startups coming out of Silicon Valley. Yes, when you look at the success stories, it's very easy to be biased by the success stories to say that every startup that started in the Silicon Valley became a global phenomena. I'm not right? saying, I didn't say it became, I said the mentality is... Mentality is actually probably that they want to become a massive US company that then allowed them to become a global company. I, I, I'm not convinced that they all started off. And again, I haven't been Silicon Valley, but I, I can think of it from a mindset perspective. Now, you are not wrong in saying that you want to be a very big startup in Kuwait or Dubai or Abu Dhabi. 
I think the difference is there, they're already thinking, how do we penetrate the US, which is 350, 400 yes. million people. Yes. Here, it's all, the region is very complicated. Let's just try and be big in, even in Egypt, without thinking about the rest of the region. So I do agree that startup founders, if they want to play in the venture game, again, that means a scalable return startup. My definition for a startup effectively is a is a company that will receive venture investment or seeks venture investment. Because if you don't seek venture investment, then you're not a high-tech, scalable... Or high-growth. High-growth yeah. uh, platform. The second part of your question, though, is to have pure innovation. And this is a question I keep getting asked. Copycats is, a, is the region... I, copycats are great. If you can create, in my opinion, a startup, the second part of the definition is to create efficiency where inefficiency exists using technology then there's nothing wrong with localizing international products to create a market that didn't previously exist. I think that's fine. It's fine. But if you want pure innovation, that requires a huge amount of investment in research and development and coding. Those guys in Silicon Valley were doing it themselves. I would, I would love to do a research report on how many founders here did it themselves and didn't use outsourced teams, outsourced people from Pakistan, India, Egypt, Jordan, like, but had an idea because there you can iterate and grow the company. But ultimately, you need research and development. So a point on the exits, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, obviously some, some people made uh, some money now with uh, yeah. quite a bit of money actually with Karim and, uh, and with Soup before. And do you think though... I mean, would you rather see in an ecosystem a hundred companies exit at you know a hundred million or five companies exit at a billion or both? Three billion? I'm happy for a hundred million, hundred a hundred million. But are you seeing those today, or are you, are we? Slowly. I mean, I mean, we just, I mean, we have Kareem, which obviously no one's gotten close to that when it comes to the technology startups, yeah. and Souk, I think, as a second, Souk, yeah. right? Souk, but then I think you have companies like Namshi, Wadi, you have you can go back, Zawiya, Talabat, uh, Delivery Hero. Um, so, they, you, you, so that's positive in, in your views? I think so. So I you mean, don't it, think that we need it's, it's more, a, maybe smaller exits, but like a, a bigger volume? So I think volume? you're seeing two things. You're seeing consolidation taking place, whereby if you look at the e-commerce and transport and logistics space, there are a lot of companies doing the same things across a wide region, and for them to become interesting for a bigger acquisition, M&A has begun to take place. Um, the second thing is corporates are becoming more interested in startups than ever before and beginning to acquire companies that can help digitalize their offline businesses into online businesses. But number three is that the international players, and we've seen this, international investors, either investing or directly or through their portfolio companies are fueling their portfolio companies to acquire companies in the region are interested in the Middle East. And, and that's healthy um, because it has a return. It provides a path or light at the end of the tunnel for the entrepreneur. But to your question, is it better to have $5 billion or 100, 100 million have 100, 100 million. That's a lot of return for investors if they were early stage investors. That's a lot of wealthier entrepreneurs that have left their companies. I'm no doubt convinced that in the region, there are a lot of entrepreneurs who have been doing this now for six, seven years who are literally like, 
I read, you know, I spoke to one guy, I'm not going to say who it is. And he goes, Phil, we're not working on our billion dollar company right now. We're going to sell this company to create the billion dollar company because we finally learned what's actually required to do that. But we had to go through this exercise to be able to do that. What do you think is, uh, I mean, are the exciting um, industries uh, moving forward? I don't know. I I feel like this is somewhat overplayed. Um, In emerging markets, my opinion is very much of the belief that, again, let's go back to what does an investor look at? An investor, uh, a simplest, simplest form, looks for a solution to a problem, large addressable market, clear path to monetization, strong team, and the ability to scale. So at its core, when you look at the Middle East or any emerging market, infrastructure is the first industry that looks to be disrupted using technology. And in my opinion, and we can go back many years, every example of your Kareem, even the Souk e-commerce platforms, while they are excellent platforms for e-commerce, effectively just got your last mile delivery delivered to your home or office. So that ability to solve for infrastructure problems, and even this year we saw the likes of your trucker receiving the highest uh, investment from transport and logistics, for instance, those type of platform industries are the ones that get disrupted. This year we saw fintech overtake all other industries by number of investments. Now, that is an infrastructure industry that requires disruption at a global level, but especially at a regional level. And interestingly, despite this very strong media attention, shall we say, to AI and blockchain and cryptocurrency and all of these things, 50% of all startups that received investments did payments and remittances. And therefore, my opinion still remains in the region that there is still such a big opportunity in the infrastructure space to be disrupted, not necessarily in the transport and logistics, but the overall infrastructure play. But you are beginning to see at the simple infrastructure level, the same solutions in healthcare, in education, in uh, media, getting information out there in terms of the, those kind of platforms are proving to be, even when you look at the slacks of this world, it's, it's, it's the infrastructure kind of transfer of information. That those are the ones that are receiving the highest amounts of investment, um, at least in the region, if not globally. With time and research and development, yes, you start seeing AI technology and blockchain adoption, and you're seeing different kind of more interesting Uh, technological uses being used. But the first port of call is just simple infrastructure solutions. What do you think are are some of the big changes that you've noticed? And and what's your sort of uh, advice? I know like everybody asks that question, like what's your advice to entrepreneurs? I find it very cliche. But I mean, you you, you sit in a a really interesting position because you see a lot of data, much more than the average entrepreneur. So... Advice to entrepreneurs. Look, I mean, it's very hard. It's very easy for us with hindsight of five years, 10 years, 15 years. That's why you would give great advice, I think. To pontificate on what (laughs) we believe. I, 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 I do believe that you need to be able to... There's a great article, which I think if you're happy to share with the podcast, which was a, a guy that left Google and and the, the true story of an entrepreneur. And I read it the other day and I shared it on my social media. And it's true. It's about the sacrifice. 
if you're not ready to give up the next 10 years of your life to potentially be successful in the idea that you have now, then it's not really worth giving it a go. Because the best case scenario is that works out. Worst case, it could be 15, 20 years. Worst, worst case is it fails after two, three. But if you're not ready to psychologically put yourself in that position, and that means financially, it means personal, it means health, it means psychological, it means many of those aspects, I would always encourage somebody to join a company to work out what it means to work for a startup on somebody else's dime, get the bug, learn what the work environment are is, learn what some of the challenges are. Again, when I started, I'm not going to name a startup that came and spoke to the co-working space I was at. It was one of the first talks that they did. And it's a well-known startup here. But the question somebody asked was, how long did it take you to raise a million dollars? And the, the guy said, oh, it took us a good five years to get to raise a million dollars. And everyone in that room had been there for six months, had this gasp. They're like, this couldn't have been a very good startup. Or why did they take that long? And you just assume that people want to give you money. And the truth of the matter is, again, it's not charity. It, there's so many aspects to getting to it. And the truth of the matter is, after five years, okay, we might be doing our Series A soon, but it takes Next time. The Kareem stories of every year, 10, 50, 100, 200, 300, they're one in so few that you just need to be, you need to read. So my, my recommendation is go in with a mindset that if you're not ready to sacrifice for the next 10, 10 years, it's probably best to join one and learn what it is to do it. Do your research, learn about the dark side of entrepreneurship as well as the upside before you get into it. And ultimately, test your product. I mean, don't go and put all your money into something until you begin to get feedback and not positive pandering from your friends and family, but from people that actually your customers are people ready to pay for what it is that you want to build. And if not, why and how do you get them to? Since you mentioned family, you come from an entrepreneurial family, right? You you mentioned you have a family business. So... <laughs> Was that, was there something, you know, or uh, that basically, is that something that encouraged you to become an entrepreneur? Did you, did you get well, mentorship was, from your family or advice or I was always inspired support? by having independent, non-corporate companies from that. I mean, they come from a very different world of the offline business and not tech. And my father today will still, and, and I'm always inspired and my father is always my biggest in, supporter and mentor but the ways that he wants to try and help magnet is always quite amusing whereby from a technical perspective it, it's challenging because you're coming from an offline world trying to support your son who's in an online world but you want to give advice from a business perspective from a moral perspective from a morale perspective like excellent but from a product perspective you're coming from a different world and ultimately what i was inspired by is that you can create these companies that are not necessarily large corporates that can be family businesses or standalone businesses and be the owner of those businesses i think that's a very arab mentality and so that was inspirational and that's why i kind of wanted to get into it in fact the reason i wanted to get into the family business was to grow it and diversify it beyond what it was and that was the real desire from it but at some point i realized well you need to 
create your own path and destiny and you can't necessarily just replicate what was done before and if you want to be successful you may just need to take the risk and do it on your own that was where i decided cool how about let me not just replicate what was done and many people have that um, affinity to their fathers and dream to support and, and follow in their footsteps but there was a certain point which I'll always never forget that it's actually okay to just create your own new footsteps and use that inspiration to do it your way as opposed to what was done historically. Excellent. Thank you so much, Philip. That Thank was you very amazing. much. Amazing. In addition to running Magnet, Philip is actively supporting startups and he's been elected to the Dubai Future Council where he has recently provided feedback on the state of startups and how the government can support them in light of the impact of the current pandemic. Uh, there's a link in the show notes about his input and, of course, to Magnet if you'd like to know more. Thank you for joining me on this episode. You can find conversations with Lulu in your favorite podcast player, such as Apple Podcast and Google Podcast and Spotify and Anrami and Deezer. And you can also watch the video interview on our YouTube channel, Conversations with Lulu. Uh, you'll find the link as well in the show notes. I'd really love to hear what you thought of this episode and would appreciate your feedback. Please support the show by subscribing and leaving us a rating or a review in Apple Podcasts. Quite a few have done that already, uh, so thank you a lot for that and waiting for the rest. You can always reach out to me for feedback or for sponsorship requests uh, through my Instagram account uh, at luluhazen or email me on lulu.hazen at gmail.com and that's l-o-u-l-o-u dot k-h-a-z-e-n at gmail.com. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next guest, Samer Hamedi, the outspoken food and beverage entrepreneur. Make sure you tune in for that. Are you struggling to find the right broker to take advantage of opportunities in the market? Are you looking to trade commodities, shares, or even crypto? Even if you don't know much about trading, you can learn all about it by visiting Capital.com's website. That's C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Capital.com is a global trading platform with over half a million users. Visit Capital.com and start your trading journey today.